0: Brad talked about what lust is. He talked about God's standards for sexuality. And he talked about how lust ultimately can't satisfy you, how it will never give you what you really want. Does anybody remember Brad's definition? You don't have to shout it out. His definition for lust was an overmastering sexual desire. An overmastering sexual desire. So if you missed last week, uh, there's your little. Little tidbit from last week an overmastering sexual desire. Tonight, what we're going to talk about is the power to fight lust. So, we're going to talk about how to master the overmastering desire. Seems impossible, but that's hopefully what we're going to find out with God's help. Let me tell you right up front I am no stranger to lust. Sounds weird to have someone say that from up front, but I am not a stranger. To lust? Why? I don't just identify you with with you. I'm in your shoes. Like we wear the same shoes. I live in the same culture you live in. I live in the same country you live in. I I see the same movies and TV shows and commercials and other advertisements that you see. I'm a human like you. I have a body like you. We all deal with lust, and we need we either need to deal with it, or lust is going to deal with us. So I'm in your shoes. All right, I don't have it all figured out, but I think God's word can help us fight this thing we call lust, that God calls lust. When I was 21, I was on a summer mission trip to San Diego, California. I was there for the whole summer, though. It wasn't just a week or two. I was there for two and a half months, and San Diego's a beach town, and uh, there are uh, a lot of people who wear um, not a lot of clothes. I'll just put it like that. And on this mission trip that I was on, there was 120 people. It was a big trip, college students from all over the country. And there were about 60 guys, so it was about half and half. And over time, as the summer went on, these guys, us guys, we started to band together because we wanted to fight against lust together. We we wanted to fight sin. I mean, basically, I'll just be really honest and upfront. We were fighting against pornography and masturbation. Right? That's kind of the guy issue. Brad mentioned that a little bit last week. That's kind of the guy side of this. We're also fighting against what we were looking at every day when we were at work, when we were on the beaches. So these guys, we we banded together to fight. Together. We wanted to fight. We wanted to kill this sin. And so what we did was we broke up into these little small accountability groups. So if there's 60 guys, I mean, I don't know if there was five or six guys in each group. So maybe there were 10 or 11 or so groups And and this was our master plan to defeat lust. If anyone failed, uh, whatever that meant, if anyone failed, the next day everybody in that group couldn't eat. Um, I don't remember a lot from that summer, but I remember that there were many days where guys weren't eating, and several days in a row. People were failing, and I think by the end of the summer, if we were just honest, we were fed up with it, and nobody was telling the truth. We were lying, you know, and we didn't care anymore. But, but what were we doing? We were basically saying we have one rule, don't lust in any kind of a, a physical way. Don't, don't lust, don't do it. And if you do do it, you can't eat the next day, everybody in your little group. Thank God that it wasn't just all the guys because we would have never ate the whole summer. And if you think about your own life, if, if you struggle with lust, which I'm assuming you do, and I'm, I'm assuming some of you want to fight it. Some of you want to fight it, but you just haven't found the power to fight it. You really want to to kill this thing called lust. Others of you, you might be giving up because you're like, you know, I've tried so many things, but I just don't have have the power for it. And then there's others of you who aren't fighting because, honestly, you love lust and you love sin, you love sexual pleasure more than Jesus. So there's maybe three groups of you in here tonight. But if if you're like me and if you're like these guys... Uh, on this mission trip, you have tried to set up what I call externally uh, external law based structures external law based structures you've set them up maybe you 've said, "I will never go to this kind of a movie again, or I will put an internet guard you know on my on my computer or you know i 'm just going to stop dating or i 'm going to break up with so and so Those can all be good things but but those external law based things lack a power source. They're, they're external. They're, they're on the peripheral. They don't, they don't get to the heart. Well, excuse me. 2,000 years ago, there was a group of people just like you and just like me. And they lived in a place called Galatia, which is in modern day southern Turkey. These were real people. I mean, you can really go to where these people live. They're called the Galatians. And the Galatians struggled with the same kind of issue. They were, they were hoping in external law-based structures to know God and to relate to God and to obey God. Their deal was circumcision. And if you don't know what circumcision is, um, you can ask your life group leader or your parent. Um, and if you, if you don't know and you want to know right now, uh, it can only happen to boys. Um, so there's a little hint, okay? So their deal, here's, here's their deal. They thought that, you had to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. In order to know God and love him and worship him and follow Jesus, you had to be circumcised, which left all the women in the room in a real big predicament. So, what, what, here's what circumcision was. Circumcision in the Old Testament, it was this physical proof that you were a part of God's chosen people and that the women in your family and everybody else in your family, they were... A, a part of God's chosen people, too, if they were in your family, if they were in your household. When Jesus came, he perfectly accomplished the law, and so the law was done away with, and the apostles didn't emphasize it. To them, it was neither here nor there. It didn't matter. Anybody, whether you were circumcised or not, Jew or Gentile, non-Jews, could become a part of God's family. But the Galatians said, no, 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 no. Sorry. Um, Gentiles, and these people were Gentiles, mind you. These these, gen- these these uh, Galatians, you, you actually have to be circumcised to follow Jesus. You, it was Jesus plus circumcision meant salvation, meant godliness, meant holiness, meant progressing in the faith, maturing, being a mature Christian. You had to be circumcised. And that left all, left, left all of the 50-year-old men in the room cringing. They were like, oh, no, you know, right? Okay, now, now just translate that into our day. What the Galatians were doing were using external law-based structures to establish their position before God and practice pursuing God. So in their position and their practice, they were like, external law-based structures, this is what will change your life. So in essence, they were legalists. We talk about legalism a lot in Oasis, and there's lots of different definitions. Here's one of them, and I think we'll throw it up on the screen. Okay, so first of all, it's just using any rules in a bad way. Using any set of rules, whether it's God's rules or your own rules in a bad way. And here's the definition. Legalism is the attempt to attain godliness by changing our behavior according to certain rules. Have that in your mind when you think about trying to kill lust or kill any other sin. It's the attempt to attain godliness by changing our behavior according to certain rules. Now let me encourage you. As a legalist... Um, as a recovering legalist, uh, we can have great intentions. Often, legalism starts out with really good intentions. You want to be holy. You want to be like God. You you want to, to live a life of of purity. As we think about it, uh, with sexual immorality or lust, I want to not do this. God says it's wrong, and so legalism can have a it can have a good start. Right? It could be I just I I don't want to do this, but it quickly goes badly. It goes badly very quickly actually. It's really what it can show you have a desire but the desire doesn't have a foundation. It doesn't have a power source and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to try to tap into the power source to defeat lust and really you could apply this tonight what I'm going to say to any sin in your life. It just happens to be we're talking about lust. So here's the main point. I think we have this on the screen too. Fighting lust with law is a dead end. Fighting lust with the Spirit will bring life. Fighting lust with law is a dead end. Fighting lust with Spirit will bring life. That's our main point. So we're going to look at the first thing, first thing we're going to look at is how fighting it with the law brings deadness and then how fighting with the Spirit brings life. Pretty simple. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Galatians five, sixteen through 18. Or if you have your phone app, you can turn it on. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. So we're going to see how Paul helps the Galatians to deal with their issue. And then I think what we're going to find is that we can identify with the Galatians and we can use Paul's solution in our own life when it comes to dealing with lust, when it comes to fighting Lust. So Galatians 5, 16 through 18. Let's, uh, let's read it together. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Okay, three short verses. It's in a, it's in a bigger section, and you can read that section later. We're just going to talk about these three tonight. Uh, we're just going to work through it pretty, pretty systematically, straight through. So look at verse 16. But I say, Paul says, Walk by the Spirit, and then you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. So, as as he starts this argument, he's he's saying to these Galatians, he's actually not starting an argument, He's, he's continuing a long argument that has started from the very beginning of the book. If you've never read Galatians, just as a side note, I encourage you to read it. You can go home and read it tonight in about 15 minutes. So, I would encourage you to read Galatians. So, as Paul continues his argument, he's saying, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Something to notice here that we wouldn't wouldn't see in English. He uses a double negative for for emphasis. We don't use double negatives in English, right? We all know from, we all remember from English class, if you use a double negative, it means a what? Positive. But in, in Greek, in the language this was written in, Paul's saying something like this. He's saying, I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not not, you will never gratify the desires of the flesh. Whoa, that is some, those are some big shoes to fill right there. He, he uses two negative words, which he didn't have to do, but we see it in one English word, not. So, so Paul's saying, if, get this in our minds, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, you may be thinking, well, how do, you, how do I know, James, that lust is a desire of the flesh? We didn't read that in the passage. Maybe you just kind of threw it in there. Well, we won't read this whole section, but you can look at verses 19 through 21. Paul gives us what's called a vice list. You know, vices are bad things, right? Evil things. So Paul gives a vice list of all these works of the flesh, these desires of the flesh. And what one is smack dab number one on the list? Go ahead, shout it out. Sexual immorality. immorality. So I don't think I'm off base when I'm saying Lust, or sexual immorality, is a desire of the flesh. Paul's saying, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify these desires. So, now go to verse 17. He, he explains why this can't happen. If you walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Why? For the flesh, is, uh, the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. Paul says the, one of the reasons, there's many reasons, but one of the reasons, if you're a Christian here tonight, the Spirit of God lives in you is so that you can't go do whatever you want, whatever your flesh wants. And I don't mean this, and Paul doesn't mean this. When he talks about the flesh, Paul is talking about the sinful nature that remains in you. And that will remain with you until you die. And you all know what I'm talking about because you experienced it today. You experienced it today at 10 o'clock in chemistry class. When you wanted to lash out at your friend or your teacher. You experienced it today on the way to school when your mom or your dad said something harsh or a little insensitive. And you, you wanted to hurt them. Or you, saw, or you experienced it as somebody walked by, and you turned your head, and you just stared them down, and you were undressing them with your eyes. Or you saw a guy across the room in your classroom, and you said, you know, I wish he were my boyfriend. That's the desires of the flesh. Anything that's contrary to God's will is the desires of the flesh. So you've all experienced that. I've experienced that. Brad experienced it. We're pastors, and we experience it today, so... This is something humans live with, but the reason we have the Spirit is so that we don't do what the flesh wants to do, okay? That's why we have the Spirit. So they are fighting. So think about like just, you know, like two dogs in like a burlap sack, and they are just going at it, right? We know what one ultimately will win, right? The Spirit, right? But they are fighting. They're not equal, but they're still in a fight, Okay? They're not of equal power. The Spirit is greater. God is greater. But there is a fight. And the reason we have the Spirit is so that we don't do what our flesh wants. Now look at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Well, thanks, Paul, for muddying the waters. I have no idea what you're talking about. You were just talking about the flesh and the Spirit fighting each other. And now you say, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The law, what, what in the world are you talking about, Paul? So here's—I mean, this is for free. As you study the Bible, as you're reading the Bible on your own, ask questions. Go ahead and ask questions. I did when I was preparing for this last week. I I saw that and I I, go—I literally said out loud, "What in the world are you talking about?" And you have to do some other reading in the in the passage in the book to understand this. But but here's where Paul's going, and I'll throw this quote up on the screen as well. Here's how the argument is going in Paul's head. If the Galatians abandon Christ and place their confidence in the law, they will be turning back to reliance on the flesh and to existence under the law's curse. In chapter 3 in Galatians, Paul told the Galatians, unless you are perfect, unless you obey the whole law, you are cursed. Why? Because you have to obey it all in order to live by it. If you want to live by that law, like God's law or any law, you have to do it perfectly. If you don't want to be a lawbreaker, then you can't break any laws. Okay, I just said it about the same way about six diff- or the same thing about six different ways. I hope you're tracking with me. You are under a curse if you go back to the law. The law shows us our sin. All it is is a diagnostic. It diagnoses us. It tells me something's wrong. It tells me something's wrong with my flesh. So if I resort back to depending on the law for righteousness, godliness, holiness, I'm really depending on my flesh. Now let's think about this with, as it pertains to lust. I said earlier, you might, you might think, well, I am just not going to go to any more chick flicks. And then I won't lust over those men and those chick flicks. I'm going to just, just forget about dating and forget about women, and I don't even want to marry anymore. Just, I, don't even want, I want to be a monk on an island full of men. Yes. Right? My daughter will be a, a monkess, a nun, I guess they call them, <laughs> on an island full of women. So um, maybe you're saying, you know, every time I... Look at pornography, and my friends do. We're going to put money in a jar, and then after the end of the month, we're going to give the money to charity, right? Good idea, right? I guess great. You know, I know a few charities you can give money to, but that can't help you. Paul's saying what you're doing is you're depending on the law to help you get better, but the law just exposes your flesh, so you're really just depending on your sinful nature to fight sin, and that makes about as much sense as I don't know, I, don't have it. I, I stopped there. Dot, dot, dot was in my notes, you know. It, it doesn't make any sense. It, it makes no sense because if you depend on the law, you're just depending on your flesh. It's, it's, this, it's one house fighting against another, or the same house. And, and there, there can't be a victor. So Paul's saying, you can't depend on the law. Because all the law was meant to do was show you how bad you are. That's what the law is supposed to do. So here's, here's an example. I have an example for us. Um, this is a voltage tester. Don't worry, it's going to make sense. You didn't know you were coming to a shop lesson today. <coughs> this is a voltage tester. A voltage tester tests electricity, right? If anybody uh, knows anything about electricity, it, all it does is just tells you if elect- electricity is flowing through a current. So as I uh, bend down here, and, and uh, only don't do this at home, Okay. We've, I practiced earlier, so what I'm going to do is test to see if this outlet works. Okay, uh, again, don't do this at home. You'll see. You'll we'll know in a second. Can you hear that? Trust me, it works. That that outlet has power. Okay, I mean, it sounds something like that. Okay, this. This volt tester, what it tested, and if you could have seen it, you would have, you would have seen it. It has about 120 volts of power that's running through it. Now, uh, there should be another thing up here that uh, I can't find it. But What a volt tester does is this just told me that power was flowing in that outlet. Now, if I were to stick this in another outlet, right? I mean, let's just say there's an outlet here right next to it, and nothing's coming. There's no lights. There's no noise, If this is an outlet right here, so imagine with me, right? I have a couple options if there's no power. One option is to buy a new receptacle, a new outlet. You know, the plugs. we call them plugs, right? That's one option. Uh, Another option is to buy a new volt tester. Okay, so say I do that, and uh, I replace the outlet. I buy a new volt tester, and then I try it again. Darn it, nothing. So I have another option. I go and buy a new volt tester, right? And I, I go back again. Oh, man, doesn't work. I'll buy a new volt tester. Problem's got to be the volt tester, right? What's the problem? It's not the outlet. It's not the volt tester. It's deeper. I think we have a picture. Maybe we'll go a little bit. Yeah. Look at that. That's what's going to happen when you realize, okay, it's not the volt tester, it's not the receptacle or the switch, it's, it's underneath the surface. It's the wiring. There's a problem with the wiring here. And the same is true when it comes to fighting lust or any sin with the law. The volt tester is a diagnostic. It's like an MRI. It tells you something's wrong. But it can't provide the cure. It cannot. So to say, all I'm going to do is get an accountability group and get an internet guard on my computer and stop dating for a while and not go to chick flicks. Or, you know what? I won't go to chick flicks at the movies. I'll just watch the ones on ABC Family. Right? Nothing wrong with that. Uh, I'll admit, I've watched them with my wife in the room, present sometimes. And all those things are good, right? But they can't get to the heart. All you're doing is switching out new volt testers. And you're missing that the problem is on the inside. There's a problem with your wiring. There's a problem with my wiring. I hope that's making sense. So now let's see where this power is coming from. The volt tester can't give us power. The law can't give us power. It just exposes us for what we are. The problem, let me... me, um, let me tease this out a little further. The problem is that we all want something concrete, right? You guys are in high school. You believe in concrete things. I know because I get the questions. My wife gets them. Brad gets them. We want You want concrete. You want something that you want a how-to, right? But here's the problem. The law, the concreteness of the law, will never help you. And it will only crush you. The weight of the law will crush you. And it can crush you in two ways. Here's how the law can crush you. The first way is that you will be absolutely despairing. When you find out that you can't kill lust with more law and more structures and more rules, whether they're God's or whether they're yours, you will be crushed because you will will despair. Other people will seem to be doing much better than you, you will seem to be failing. The other way you can be crushed is that you will be elated with pride, so much arrogance, because you're actually succeeding and everybody else is failing or you think you're succeeding. So that's what that's what the law does. That's that's the problem. It's a diagnostic. It's not the solution. Well, now let's talk about how the spirit gives life. How does the spirit give us life? Paul's clear walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. In this chapter, in chapter 5, he gives us some clues to what it means to walk by the Spirit. Actually, in the whole book, he's giving us clues as to what it means. In chapter 5, he's talking about walking by the Spirit and living by the Spirit. And really, I mean, they just mean the same thing. Like, as you, as you go about your life, as you go about doing your life, do it by the Spirit. But what does that mean? In chapter 3, he says very clearly, the righteous shall live by faith. Here's a, here's a way to think about that. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? It means to willfully and continuously believe in God's gospel promises. And then I have this little formula. Walking by or walking in the Spirit means living by faith in Jesus. Here's what faith means. It means trust, it means belief, it means transferring the weight of your hopes off of you and onto Christ, onto somebody else. That's what that's what faith is. The righteous live by faith. The righteous live by faith. Now, you're probably still saying some of you, I still want some concreteness. This faith thing, I can't get this. I need some to-do list. I need some how-to list. I need some self-help. I can do it. I can, I can do this. I can willpower my way out of lust. I don't like looking at pornography. I, I want to stop. I can do it. And friends, let me just tell you, I, I'm here to tell you, you can't. And everyone in the room, everyone in the room has a track record that proves they can't. Every single one of you, me included, we have a track record that proves you can't do it. None of us. So, so what I want to give you, what Paul wants to give us is some gospel promises to believe. Okay, and then I do have some practical things, but, but here are some gospel promises to believe. Number one, Galatians 2.20. I won't read the verses because we don't have time, but I'll summarize them. Your old self died with Jesus when you, believed with, when you believed in Jesus, your old self, that sinful nature, that flesh, died. He loved you. He gave himself for you. Pornography will never give itself for you. Masturbation will never give itself for you. Another a boy, a, a romantic guy who doesn't even exist in a movie, will not give themselves to you. You're always giving yourself to lust. Jesus gave himself. For you. Second one, Galatians 3, 5. God supplies his spirit to grow by faith, just as the same as you were saved. You were saved by faith if you're a Christian, and you, you grow by faith. That's how God works. You, you continue to trust, and you trust that you get the spirit by faith, and then you have power to fight lust. Number three, Galatians 5.5, 5, you await your, your total perfection, your, your complete perfection, not by ramping up your good works, but by trusting in Jesus through the power of the Spirit. One day you will be made perfect, and it will be glorious, and you get that by faith. You can't make yourself better. You believe it. Number four, Galatians 5.6, if you want to kill your lust, don't offer up your worthless deeds to God. Serve people, love people. Paul says the only thing that matters is faith working through love. If you want to get over yourself, stop looking at yourself and look to others and serve them as Christ served you by dying for you. Now, practically, you you have to be filling your mind with God's word. I don't have any other solution. You will fill your mind with something. You will fill your mind with advertisements, commercials, pornography, The Bachelor. You'll fill your mind with these things. Serious. You'll fill your mind with them. You have to be filling your mind with God's Word. So think about it. Can I sacrifice now? Can I sacrifice some grades, some time, some money, time with friends, fun, so that I can spend time reading the Bible? and praying, let me ask you this, what's it worth to you? Is it worth it so that in 15 years you're not addicted to sexual pleasure? Is it worth it so that your life won't be ruined and and your faith in Jesus is nothing? It means nothing because you treasure sex more than him. What's it worth to you? I mean, that's, that's the question. What's it worth to you? Here's five things you can do as you go about your life. I do these things a lot. And they're, they're, they're a part of one package. So there's, you can remember, you can remember it through the, the acronym APTAT. It doesn't mean anything. A-P-T-A-T. I got it from a guy named John Piper. And I use it often. First thing you do. Uh, admit. You just admit. God, I have no power here. I, I am in a place where there are so many, so many things that are tempting me to lust right now. I have no power in my flesh to do any good here. Second thing, P, pray. God, I ask you for help. He he, he hears you. He'll listen to you. I need your grace. I need your mercy. Would you please help me? You know, I have a daughter, Bailey, and if she came to me and said, Daddy, would you please help me? I'd help her. God wants to help you. T, trust. This is the most important one. Trust a specific gospel promise from Scripture. You have, and I struggle with this one. You've got to find something in Scripture. I gave you four of them. Find some others that deal with sexual immorality and lust. Find some other ones that deal with sin in general. Find a promise and trust it. I'm going to give you another one here at the end, but, but find some, some Scripture and trust it. The second A, act. You've got to do something. You've got to shut off the computer. You've got to shut off the television. You've got to not look at the magazines in the grocery aisle. Men and women have to not look at those magazines. You you, you can't. You have to do something. If this were number one, this would all be legalism. But because I've went through those other steps and I've acknowledged that I can't do anything and I need God's help and that I'm trusting in his word, which is tangible, I know it's not legalism. I know it's God working through me. So I'm acting out what God is working in. And then the last T, thank. I thank God that if I did any good, it was him and not me. I thank God that if, if I did something right, it was because he was the one giving me the power to do it, and everything in me, everything in my sinful nature was saying, no, no, no. But everything in my new nature, my, my Christian nature, God was working in me to say, just say no, James. And so I can thank God for that. I can thank him for that. Well, one last encouragement, and then we'll go to life groups. You don't have to turn there, but in, six, in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, Paul gives us a promise to remember. He says, The sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Oh, what if Paul would have said, The sexually immoral won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. But you, you will because you stopped lusting. He doesn't say that. He says, You were washed. You were cleansed. Jesus cleansed you once for all. And now he's in the process of cleansing you day by day. What a promise. Thank God Paul didn't say, you will enter the kingdom because you have stopped lusting. No, he says, you were cleansed. You were cleansed by Jesus. He justified you. He made you right with God. And now he's sanctifying you. He's doing the work of cleaning you up. What a promise. Let's pray. God, help us to believe your promises. Help us to, to ask you for help for those who love you and trust you and believe in you, for those who would confess Christ as their Lord, as their Savior. You are a father to us and you love your children and you are very near in times of trouble. And this is, issue of lust is so important. It can destroy us differently than other sins can. And so we ask you, help us. And would we trust your promises that you are better, oh Jesus, you are better. We pray this in your great name, your strong name, the name that's mighty to save. Amen. <laughs>